Well, I have the honor of, of continuing our sermon series uh, from the book of Ephesians this morning because Pastor Peter and his family are off uh, for their first ever parents' weekend at college uh, visiting Matt, and so that's a, a fun time for their family, and uh, they'll be back uh, later, later today, and Peter will be back in, in the pulpit next week. Uh, and we come to chapter 3 of Ephesians. Chapter 3 is a little odd. It's a little interesting. It begins by saying in verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the man who's writing this letter, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he stops. He doesn't even finish his sentence. He stops mid-sentence. He breaks off his thought because he was going to pray. We know that because he's going to pick that thought up again in verse 14. Um, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, bow my knees before the Father. And so, uh, but, but as he begins his prayer, he realizes, I want to add something else <laughs> to what I've been talking about. I'm not, I'm not ready to pray just yet and, and recognize Paul did not have an undo function on a word processor. He didn't have an eraser on his, his ink pot. Uh, he's writing on, on papyrus, and so he just inserts at that point what came to his mind. He, he stops his train of thought, and he inserts verses 2 through 13 as an additional thought related to what he's been talking about in, in chapter 2, and that he picks up, as we'll see next week, with his prayer. And so what we have in these verses, 2 through 13, is an important connection Paul is thinking about in his own ministry to these Gentiles, these, these non-Jewish people that he's writing to. And, and in that context, he makes an important point about the calling of the church, about what we as Christians, as the people of God, the church, are supposed to be about. And so let's give attention to what he has to say, because although this is written by the Apostle Paul, we believe it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, the very Word of God. Ephesians 3, starting in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are fellow heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Him, through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. 
I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. This is the word of God. <clears throat> well, I, I grew up in Sedgwick, Kansas. Sedgwick is a lot like North Jersey in Metro New York City. I mean, it's a booming metropolis. You can get a sense of that from this map. Uh, you can see every street in my hometown. It's eight blocks one direction and eight blocks the other. It's a half mile square. Uh, you know it's a small town when, when the scale that Google Maps has the, on the bottom of the page is measured in feet. <clears throat> well, uh, it's a little different than Bergen County. Uh, it boasts a population of 1,500 people surrounded by farmland. And in my hometown, high school activities were it. Literally, they were it. There was nothing else going on in town. We didn't even have a stoplight. Um, and, and so one of my earliest memories, many of my earliest memories, are growing up. My parents didn't have any other connection than just being in this town. But every Friday, I'd be running around under the bleachers of the football game while my parents were watching the high school team play. Every, every winter, I'd, I grew up at the basketball uh, courts because that's what you did in Sedgwick County. In a very real sense... The team was on display for the benefit of the town. And in our text this morning, Paul speaks of the church being on display. He says that through the church, God wants to make something known to all people. The well-respected pastor and theologian John Stott, he's deceased now, but he commented on verse 10. Uh, he summarized the purpose of the church using the metaphor of a play. And growing up in a small town, I was in the school, so I was in the play. So I, I, I know what, you know, I have a sense of what this is about. So the church, in terms of a play, but perhaps not in the way many people expect. If we would use that analogy, that metaphor for, for what happens in the church, I think a lot of people may come to church like they would come to a performance, like as if they were watching a play, for example. To use John Stott's metaphor, we might think of the worship service or the youth ministry or children's ministry or men's or women's ministry or, or some other program as the stage, kind of the context in which God's people are functioning. And who's the actors? We, we may think it's the staff or, or the ministry leaders. And, and the audience then would be everybody else in the congregation who who comes to observe what they're doing on the stage. That's not what Paul had in mind in Ephesians 3. Church is not a worship service. It's not a ministry program. Church is the people of God. And, and explaining this metaphor, Stott writes this. Stott says, a great drama is being enacted and history is the stage. If we quoted from Shakespeare, we might say, all the world's a stage. And church members, he says, from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all Christians everywhere are the actors. And the audience, interestingly, are these spiritual beings, these cosmic intelligences, principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. And so Ephesians 3 gives us insight into the eternal purpose of God for his church. The story that God is telling throughout history 
through his people, the church. And so the question for us as the people of Grace Redeemer Church, our fundamental question should not primarily be uh, critiquing the quality of programming that the staff or the other leaders are providing. That, That shouldn't be our orientation. Rather, the question is, how well are we, all of us, together as a church, playing our parts in God's play for a watching world? We're going to reflect on two major points today. First, how do we join the cast of God's play? And second, how do we play our part? And so first, how do we join the cast? Well, as we think about world history, using this metaphor of God's play, what's the story? What's it all about? What's he doing? What's the drama about? And Paul describes it in this text, in Ephesians 3, as a mystery. He uses this word, mystery. And and this, in fact, is a major theme of of the whole letter. He uses this term seven times in six chapters. Four of those times are in our passage today, the first half of chapter three. It's what this passage is about, the mystery of God. Now, a lot of times, and appropriately so, we use this word mystery to, to refer to something that's puzzling, right? Something that You know, we can talk about it intelligently, but we can't ultimately mine the depths of it. We can't get our hands around it. There are are mysteries to life. There are mysteries in Christian theology. I mean, the Trinity is a mystery. We believe that Scripture teaches us that God has self-disclosed himself to be one God in three persons, all of whom are fully God, not parts of God, but there's only one. Now, we can say things about that, but at the end of the day, that's mysterious. We we can't ultimately understand all of that. We we receive it as revelation. We trust it because the Scriptures teach it. We might think of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. How do they fit together? We, We affirm them both because Scripture teaches them both. Mystery. It's an important and an appropriate way to use that word. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That's not how he's using the word in Ephesians 3. He's talking about something else. In verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5, Paul explains that this mystery is God's eternal plan. And this is why it was a mystery. It used to be hidden in the mind of God. But now he's disclosed it. It's a mystery because we didn't understand it until God made it known. He's revealed it in Christ. Um, It's been revealed to the church, he says, through the apostles and prophets. And so this mystery is not something that's unknowable, that is ultimately incomprehensible. It's something we can't get our hands on. But no, we now know it. That's Paul's point. He's explaining to us what it is. It once was a secret, but now it's been revealed. It's an open secret. It's made known. And then in verse 6, he explains exactly what he has in mind when he speaks of the mystery. And here it is. Here's the big secret. In verse 6, he says, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So what Paul has been saying since chapter 1 especially in chapter 2, 
is that the plan of God from all eternity was never fully understood until the coming of Jesus. And it's this, that the grace of the gospel is offered to everyone. It's, it's open to all people freely so that they, through faith in Christ, can be made alive with Christ. That's his point in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And also made one in Christ. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, what he's just immediately been talking about. And so the mystery is, first, how sinful, spiritually dead people can have a relationship with the God of the universe. Chapter 2 began by describing our spiritual condition before God in the most dire way possible. Perhaps you remember it. Uh, I won't rehash it all again. Peter preached, uh, I think, 13 sermons on, on the first. That's a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. Uh, we, several sermons on, on Ephesians 2. And, and if you missed those, they're great. I, I encourage you to go on the website and, and listen to them. Let me just say this. Chapter 2 opens by describing us as spiritually dead because of our sins, as in spiritual bondage to our, our own sinful nature, influenced by the world around us, and even spiritual beings, the, the devil. And so consequently, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 3, that all of us, everybody who's ever lived, apart from Christ, uh, who is the Son of God, made Man, all of us deserve the judgment of God. But perhaps the most beautiful words in the Scriptures, the most beautiful words ever spoken, follow that depressing description of our condition. Chapter 2, verse 4, begins literally in the original Greek. The first two words of that verse are, what do you, what, you know them, what are they? But God. As Peter says, those are gospel words. But God. The, yes, the ESV translation prefer, uh, preserves this, this word order. I'll read it from that version. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love that he, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It goes on to say, there's nothing we do to earn this. You can't be a good enough person to earn this. You can't, you can't um, do enough good deeds to outweigh your bad deeds. This is a gift. All of us are spiritually bankrupt, and we receive a free gift from God. And that's what Paul is getting at in our passage in chapter 3, verses 6 and 8. There he says the mystery is that through the gospel, we are heirs with Jesus, sharers in the unsearchable riches of Christ. The good news of the gospel is that if you have faith in Jesus, you have nothing to prove. You are absolutely and utterly loved by God, despite all the junk in your life. When you, when you look into Jesus' face, if you can imagine looking into Jesus' face, God's face, what's the expression you imagine he has as he looks at you? Is it mild disappointment? Frustration? Anger? Or is it a smile? 
the gospel is that God thinks of you what he thinks about Jesus. The gospel is that he's taken your sins and forgiven them. He's taken them, as the psalmist says, and, and removed them as far as the east is from the west. He puts them behind his back. He doesn't even see them, but what he's given us is the very righteousness of Jesus credit to us. So when he looks at us, he assesses us the way he assesses his son. Grace. You don't earn that. When God looks at you, if you're a believer in Christ, God says, you are my beloved son or daughter, and I'm very pleased with you. Do you feel that? The gospel tells us that because of what Christ did through faith in him, you have nothing to prove. You're absolutely significant. You're utterly secure. Let that sink in. Let it sink in. Think of all the effort we go to, all of the anxiety, all the performance, all the approval we're seeking from others to validate that we're good enough. You don't have to. Rest in Christ. Find your faith in him, your identity in him. The shocking truth of the mystery of God that has been hidden for ages past is how God invites sinful people into his family. God is manifesting his wisdom by creating a way for innumerable numbers of people, despite their past, despite their shortcomings, their failures, their flaws, to be part of the family of God because of what Jesus has done. It's simply a gift we receive by faith in Christ, believing that he's the savior of sinners like us, our, our member vow says, we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. Part of the mystery of the gospel is how sinful people can have a relationship with the God of the universe. But there's more to it than this. The mystery also includes how sinful people can have a relationship with one another. The mystery is shocking, not just because God makes sinful people righteous in Christ, even though they don't deserve it and can't earn it. The mystery is shocking because it's for everyone. Now, this may not sound like such a big deal to us, but realize God revealed himself. He revealed his promises through one people, one, one group, the Jews. Their entire ethnic and religious and political identity was based on their distinction from everyone else. And God reinforced that for a time, for a time in the Old Testament through some of the laws that he gave to set Israel apart from the surrounding pagan nations. But the key is that it was always intended to only be for a time. From the very beginning, God's plan was that by setting aside one people group, the Jews, he would eventually work through them to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and nation. His particular covenant had a universal intent or scope to it. Every family would be blessed through Christ. How he would do that was a mystery until it was revealed in Christ when Jesus came on the scene. In fact, Paul summarizes the mystery this way in verse one. Chapter 1, verse 10, he says, the mystery of God's eternal will was a plan for the fullness of time, and here's the plan, 
to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And so this reconciliation between Jew and Gentile that Peter was talking about the last two weeks is representative of how God wants to to reconcile all people together in in their diversity that they would have a, a, a common humanity in Christ. When Paul says in chapter 3, verse 6, our passage today, he says, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. When he says that, he's dropping a bombshell, friends, that has changed the world over the last 2,000 years. To return to our play analogy, everyone is invited to join the play. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, how good you've been to this point, by God's grace, you're invited into the act, the cast. Through faith in Christ alone, you're part of the family. But the family has a purpose beyond itself. It's not just about being in the cast, right? There's a play to perform. And so, second, we need to understand, how do we play our part in the play? that God is writing through history. Our part in the play of God's mission is simply this. It's to make known the mystery. That is, it's to explain that all people, no matter who you are, you can have a relationship with God and with one another in Christ, through faith in Christ. This is our calling as Christians and as churches Uh, To put it theologically, our calling is to participate in God's mission. We don't pressure people. We We don't force them, but we give them the invitation to know God through Christ. All of us. No exceptions. Right? Mission isn't just for kind of that strange group of people that's interested in that sort of thing, right? It's, it's for all of God's people. It's, it's not an option for someone who is a follower of Jesus. We're all commissioned. We're all called to be his ambassadors. It's through the church, all of us working together, using our various gifts, that God is working out his plan for the world. We're all in the cast. Our witness, I'll suggest, happens in three primary ways. First, we embody the mystery. That is, this gospel thing works in our lives to change us so that we grow and we help one another grow in our love for God and and, and one another. Second, we express the mystery through love and good deeds to all people, um, outside the church included. And, And third, we explain the mystery as we share the gospel, as we connect the dots between our lives and and how we're living in the world. So let me just uh, briefly explain. First, our part in the cast, our part in the play, we embody the mystery. That is, we help one another follow Jesus. We, We help one another love Christ and love and care for one another. Recall his eternal purpose from chapter 1, verse 10 to unite all things together under one head who is Christ. Paul says in chapter three, verse eight, this grace was given, verse nine, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And and again, the audience Paul explicitly has in mind here are spiritual beings. He he says, the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That's his, his phrase for the spiritual realm. 
angels and demons who look on wondering, what in the world is God doing with these people? But it applies equally to a watching world as well. People, all of these creatures are looking at this drama unfold before their eyes about how God takes the division and the corruption and the hostility between people resulting from the fall, and he creates a new humanity, a saved and reconciled people, diverse and one, just like the Trinity itself. God makes his wisdom concrete to a watching world by creating a church of people reconciled to him and reconciled to one another. GRC, here in this room, look around. We, it includes, we include Anglo and Asian, African and Arab, Hispanic and Haitian and more. And, and that's a great start. But all peoples are invited into this family. Right? And, th- and then there are many more people that, that, that aren't represented here that live right in our areas. And so when the world sees a church made up of all kinds of people, people who grew up Christian, people who grew up in another religion, people who grew up with no religion, uh, no matter what our starting place or how we grew up, when we together find our spiritual journey to culminate in Jesus, together as we seek to love and serve all people, when that happens, God's wisdom is demonstrated in a way that, that literally it forces people to sit up and take notice. And so if we're to embody this mystery, what is God saying to you this morning about your role in the play, about about how you are demonstrating the reality of the gospel through the quality of your relationships with God's people to start with? Is there someone you need to forgive or ask forgiveness from? Are you more of a spectator or are you actually Actively, intentionally seeking to play your part in God's play as part of the church. So we embody the gospel. We embody the mystery. Second, we express it through our actions in the world, through love and good deeds shown to those outside the church, all people. That's why we're sponsoring a family. That's why we're doing the boxes of love. That's that's why we're looking to build bridges with all kinds of people. Paul doesn't address that explicitly in this passage, but Scripture is clear that God's love, God's presence is made tangible to people. They see his hand as God's people work for the common good, as they seek to extend mercy and goodwill. So I just want to mention that in passing, even though it's not explicit in this text. So we embody the mystery, we express the mystery, third, we explain the mystery. We share the gospel, we connect the dots, we, we make it explicit what it is that motivates our actions and, and, and the way that we live our life in the world. In verses 8 and 9, Paul describes how God grace, God's grace compelled him to preach the gospel so it's made plain to everyone. And in that sense, even though he's an apostle, He's no different from us because the great commission was given to the apostles to make disciples who also obey everything Jesus taught. In each generation, in every place where this church has spread around the world, we're all called to this. That may look different for each person, but all of us need to be ready to give a reason for the hope we have with gentleness and respect to other people. What is God saying to you right now about your role in showing and telling the gospel to those outside the church? 
do your words and your actions line up so that, that, that it fits, that your, your, your life is a positive witness to those you live, work, and play amongst? Do you know how to summarize the gospel so that someone knows what it looks like to, to place their faith in Christ and begin to follow him? For many of us, the, the disconnect is that we simply don't care all that much about people who don't already share our views. And so maybe what God is saying to you is, is, is that you need to ask him to give you his heart of compassion for all people, for other people, for different people. What is God saying to you today about your role in showing and telling the gospel to those God has put in your life? The foundation for all of that, the only reason we would live this way is if we've experienced what Paul talks about in verse 6. We've experienced already what it means to be heirs with Christ, to be sharers of the promise through the gospel, to, as chapter 1 says, to have every spiritual blessing poured out, lavished upon us in Christ, not because we're doing this, but just because God is merciful and gracious and loving. When we experience that, it motivates us to share his heart for other people as well. All the world's a play, and we as his church are the actors for the good of a watching world. So let's play our parts well by the grace and power of God, for the glory of God, and for the good of God's world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise that we did not earn your love. We didn't prove ourselves to you. We didn't clean ourselves up so that you would find us acceptable. Lord, we're broken people, and you love us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Thank you that it's a gift, that all we have to do, the only qualification we have is that we're not qualified, and all we have to do is receive it. Lord, help us to experience your love for us. Would it so captivate our hearts that we can't help but long for more and more people to experience your love for them as well, to be part of your family. So Father, use us to be a blessing to those around us with no strings attached, simply because you love all people. And so Lord, help us to be that kind of people. We pray in Jesus' name.